0: Hello and welcome to this Expert Insights CD. I'm Donna Hanson from Prime Solutions Training and Consulting. Our Expert Insights CD series is designed to give professionals access to the latest trends, ideas, philosophies and approaches that impact on productivity, performance and achievement, both in business and personally. We know that these days it's often hard to find the time to step outside your world and explore what's happening in other organisations. Prime's Expert Insights CDs are designed to provide you with concise information on topics relevant to you on a regular basis in a format that maximizes your time and keeps you up to date with industry trends. In this Expert Insights CD, I'm going to be speaking with Steve Simpson, and we're going to be talking about something called unwritten ground rules and why unwritten ground rules could be sabotaging your productivity. But first, let me tell you a little bit about Steve. Steve is an international speaker, consultant and author based in Melbourne. He's described by UK-based e-customer service world as Australia's leading corporate culture authority. Steve has created the concept of UGRs or Unwritten Ground Rules, which is receiving global acclaim as a tool to understand and improve organisational culture. Steve has spoken at two world conferences on customer service management in the US where he is rated in the top 10 speakers. He recently spoke at UK Customer Management Conference in Edinburgh, the Regional Conference for the Academy of Chief Executives in London, and the International Leadership Synopsum in Johannesburg. That's a mouthful. He's also the author of two books and a contributing author to a further two books. Steve has been accredited as a certified speaking professional, the highest speaker designation recognised by the International Federation of Professional Speakers. Welcome, Steve.
1: Yeah, thank you, Donna. Really well. Looking forward to this.
0: Um, I'm really excited about. Um, I know a little bit about unwritten ground rules, but I'm looking forward to sharing some information uh, with our listeners today.
1: Thank you. Likewise,
0: Steve. Firstly, tell us what are unwritten ground rules?
1: Uh, unwritten ground rules, or UGRs, as I call them. Uh, the best definition for those is that they are people's perceptions of this is the way we do things around here. They can include things like around here at our meetings, it isn't worth complaining because we know nothing will get done. Uh, Around here, the only time anyone gets spoken to by the boss is when something is wrong. Um, Around here, the organisation talks about the importance of customer service, but we know other things are more important, and so on. So the incredible thing about UGRs is that they literally drive people's behaviour. And we've had two universities putting world first, uh, putting money to do world-first research in the UGRs, and it confirmed the fact that they literally drive people's behaviour, but incredibly they are seldom talked about openly. Uh, seldom, if ever. Um, it's the UGRs, or under the grand rules, that constitute a team or an organisation's culture. Uh, I think they're one and the same thing.
0: So is it a bit like an internal version of social proof, you know, one person does something and because that seems to be the norm, everybody else follows suit because they don't necessarily want to, I guess, buck the system?
1: Um, I often share my view with people or a theory that I've got with people when I'm working with organisations and I'll say that I think this is pretty close to a 100% rule. When a person is new to an organisation, irrespective of their level of seniority, they are quieter than what they normally would be mm-hmm. and i think that's pretty close one 100 rule and then i'll quiz people i'll say why well the reason we're quieter is that we're actually checking out what the ugrs are now we don't have the term ugrs in our brain but as humans that's what we do it comes naturally to us it's part of the way we operate and by the way it's not confined to work it's confined to any group mm. with which we're new <laughs> now why are we checking out what the UGRs are well we're checking those out in order that we can conform. Mm. And it's, it's quite amazing the power that UGRs have on us. And I've got evidence for, across the broad spectrum of people and organisations, including CEOs, that personalities can almost change based on the UGRs within a particular group. They're enormously powerful. And I remind you, the incredible thing is that they are seldom talked about openly.
0: It's, it's almost like, as you're talking about it, it's almost like um, going back to the caveman days, you know, in a bit of fight or flight. You, you work out the lay of the land before you work out what the risk is for you putting yourself out there and that human nature is perhaps one of um, assimilation rather than wanting, to, and conformity, rather than wanting to be perceived as the outsider coming in.
1: Uh, that's an astute observation, Donna, and I think you're spot on there. And I think this might even start from uh, early childhood where uh, kids can get isolated Mm -hmm. uh, for not conforming to whatever the norm is. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we learn from a very early age that uh, we defy UGRs at our peril.
0: Mm. Mm, Yeah, certainly it is that social proof sort of scenario of everybody's doing it, Uh, you know, regardless of whether it's right or not, people accept that as being right.
1: Absolutely, and and these can even beat... The most senior of leaders. I mean, often it's the job of the senior leader, or a CEO, or whatever, who comes in to change the culture, and therefore um, to change the UGRs. And uh, more often than not, they will fail to do that um, because of because of their force. They're incredibly powerful. Uh, they can lock in and be very, very difficult to change.
0: Mm, mm. Yes, yeah, certainly positive and negative. Um and I'm sure plenty of our listeners could relate to some of the examples that you mentioned there, Steve, of a you know perhaps a new manager coming in or even somebody coming in at a the same level to you actually sort of you know uh, rocking the boat and there's often a sense of frustration when people do that and and I guess uh, you know that's where you might see the instances where in organizations you really do have to tread carefully because. If you if you become too out there with you know pushing what your thoughts are onto your, your group, it, it actually like you said alienates you and and can end up uh, you you removing yourself uh, either voluntarily or uh, or otherwise from an organisation.
1: Donna, I think that's spot on. A, a new a new employee is a good test for UGRs in any team or organisation, and um, they they will watch for certain cues and clues to deduce what the UGRs are, and they're staying quiet during this process. Uh, and again, this is not normally brought to a level of consciousness. It's not something that we consciously do. It just comes naturally to us. So they'll look at things in the organisation or the team, things like um, punctuality, whether people are arriving at the death knock or whether they are looking at the second end of their watch ready to sprint once it's finished time, Uh, They'll look at whether a 10 o'clock meeting starts at 10 or whether people saunter in at quarter past 10. By the way, this works in both directions. If it's a 5 o'clock finish and everyone is still there at 6.30, they'll look to see if the first person to leave at 20 to 7 is frowned upon. Mm. Um, Equally, they'll look at if a a person arrives at a 10 o'clock meeting at 10 o'clock, does that demonstrate to other people that you're not busy enough? Um, so they're looking at these cues. They're looking at how people are treated. They're looking at the extent to which information is freely shared or the extent to which it's kept people kept close to people's chests. Worse, do people play a game? You have to ask me the right question before I give you the right answer. Um, they'll look at what is said about a boss when they're there. They'll look at what is said about a boss when a boss walks away. Uh, for that matter, they'll look at what, what is said about anyone while they're there and what they'll say when they walk away. They'll listen to the conversation around water coolers or in a staff room or a canteen if there is one. And they'll listen to what is being talked about. Is it mostly positive? Is it mostly negative? Is it the organisation that's mostly being talked about? Is it people, bosses, for example? And again, is that mostly positive or mostly negative? So it's it's, it's almost like it's wired into us that we know what to look for or to look at to to deduce the UTRs. And as I say, we work against those UGRs at our peril. And we've seen instances of it, Donna, by new people who make early mistakes and they might say something at a staff meeting which isn't meant to be said. And you can tell the instant that that happens because eyes roll, uh, there might be a murmuring, give them time, people might say, and you quickly learn as the new person, well, you don't go there, you don't do that, don't go into that territory.
0: And I'm guessing too much of that and they get ostracised.
1: Well, then, yes, and then it can escalate, and those people can be explicitly ostracized. You're dead right there, Donna. And, um, you know, those more explicit, more overt signs that this is not the way we do things around here um, can really alienate and can actually transform into a place, into, the, into a form of workplace bullying.
0: Well, that, that's a great sort of definition and some framework around our, our conversation today and and I know it sounds silly, Steve, but I'm getting a bit excited because I can actually see how that impacts on, you know, the technology and productivity space that, that I work in and um, I'm sure, you know, my thoughts and, and some ideas around that I'll, I'll bring up as we go along because I think there could be good conversation pieces uh, and our listeners might benefit from a, from a conversation around it. So, um, how does having unwritten ground rules in teams and in organisations impact on productivity, Steve?
1: Well, Donna, I should actually put a qualifier in here and say that the examples I've given so far are negative. Mm -hmm. If uh, your listeners right now are in a really positive, functioning, productive team, then by definition that team is characterized by positive UGRs.
0: Oh, wow, that's great. And I think that that's a good differentiation because I think it is easy to jump on the negativity bandwagon, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, yes. So, but, but I make the point that it's by definition, a positive team has positive UGRs. Now, most teams have a mix and I've been doing this work for more than 20 years. So I know that there is no team of any reasonable size there's going to have 100% positive UGRs and no team of any reasonable size is going to have 100% negative UGRs. There's going to be a mix of UGRs in any team. But irrespective of the mix, I figure that UGRs have a dramatic impact on productivity because it's the UGRs that constitute the team's culture. I think they're synonymous. They're one and the same thing. Now, last year we did some research and we asked what I think is a fascinating question. We asked people... This question, if the culture of your workplace was to become as good as it realistically could, how much improvement would there be on people's performance slash productivity? The results we got blew us away. We couldn't believe it because 91% of senior leaders said 20% or more improvement in productivity and performance would eventuate if the culture was realistically improved to be as good as it could be.
0: Wow. And, and I guess if we were to equate that, that bottom line impact, um, you know, could, could head in, depending on the size of the organisation, could head into the millions or more.
1: Well, absolutely. But here's the more interesting thing, Donna. 58% of middle managers felt performance would improve by 50% or more. So... All our research, apart from the research we did last year, all our research says that senior leaders see their culture more positively than middle managers, who in turn see their culture more positively than non-managers. And I, I will often say to people, who's most right? Well, of course, it's the people who are closest to the action who understand the culture the best. So it's likely that senior leaders are underestimating the extent to which the UGRs and culture is hurting them. But I'd say, how much is it uh, do UGR's impact on productivity? Enormously. And by the way, we've done this in good teams as well, and they still see capacity, sometimes substantial um, capacity for improvement.
0: Mm. that's interesting because the the things that I'm thinking of now are that uh, a lot of the um, in the positive aspect I'm guessing a lot of the UGRs are assumed and then when you have somebody else that comes in they apply their own expectations that might be around communication around punctuality around all of those sorts of things and then uh, end up getting frustrated when they're Um, you know, their expectations aren't met. And it's because they're different to the group. And I guess by identifying what the UGRs are, positive or negative, you can improve them. But also everybody knows, you know, where the goals are. And they're all heading towards the the goals rather than being off in random locations thinking they're all heading in the right direction.
1: Look, I think, um, again, I've got a theory, and that is that um, the longer you are in an organisation the less you are conscious of the UGRs. Now, the reverse to that is certainly true because when you're new to an organisation, it hits you between the eyes. You you, you can't miss it. But it just gradually becomes the air that we breathe. And I think for the majority of people, including senior people, the UGRs just become, well, almost operate at a subconscious level, um, often frustrating us, but we don't bring it to a level of consciousness. So I think you're dead right, Donna. Um, Newer people can be frustrated by um, inactions or blockages uh, that can happen as a consequence of UGRs. And other people might not be tuned into that at all. It's remarkable when you think about it.
0: Okay, so let's take that a step further. If an organisation recognises they have unwritten ground rules, be them positive or negative, how might it be impacting on productivity in teams or in the business as a whole so we we've, we've talked about you know how people might feel etc and we've also talked you've you've given us some amazing statistics around you know how senior leaders and middle managers think that their uh, productivity would improve uh, with clarity around them but um, you know how m- might they actually be impacting? What would they look like? How would you be able to identify if your organisation um, has some unwritten ground rules that are either positive or negative?
1: Donna, what we do is uh, undertake what we call a UGR's stock take. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this gets a fix on the prevailing cultures. And through doing that, we can identify uh, in really powerful ways how it's impacting on people's behaviour, how, it's literally, how they are literally driving people's behaviour. And this UGRS stock take uh, method... Uh, emerged after the two universities put money into to do well 1st research in the UGRs. And what we do is we get people to complete the sentence to what we now call lead-in sentences. Right. So when we did the early research, we got people to complete the sentence, around here customers are, complete the sentence. And, that, of course, they did this anonymously. And some of the responses we got back from that were, frankly, gobsmacking, because we had people say, around here customers are, an interruption of my working day, a, here, customers are a pain in the neck and worse, and stuff like this. Now, each of the organisations involved in that early research had wonderful documentation proclaiming their commitment to customer service, and yet these were some of the prevailing UGRs. So through that research, we're able to demonstrate that it is the UGRs that drive people's behaviour. I'll give you an example. If we have a customer contact area, and it's a physical customer contact area. Mm-hmm. And there are two staff behind the counter, no customers in the premises. One customer walks in. If the UGR is around here, customers are a pain in the neck, then this two staff will be playing a game. And the game they'll be playing is, I can look busier than you because I don't want to deal with this customer who's a pain in the neck. So, I mean, through that example alone, we can see that, UGRs literally are driving people's behaviour. Now, since that early research, which was 20 years ago, we've developed this enormously. And so some of the UGR stock takes that we do now, we've, we've asked questions like, and this is relevant to people uh, who you work with, Donna, in the IT space, um, around here when it comes to change, for example. Um, the negative responses we get, or the percentage of negative responses we get back to that lead-in sentence is quite often very disturbing. So we'll get people to complete the sentence, for example, around here when you come up with a new idea. Now, if the if a person's UGR is around here when you come up with a new idea, it's not worth it, no one wants to know about it, then at the next meeting that person goes to, if the boss or somebody else says, any ideas for improvement on this, I might well have an idea in my head. But if my UGR is around here when you come up with a new idea, no one wants to know about it, then I'm not going to raise it. Um, it's literally driving my my behaviour and it's got enormous impact on performance and productivity.
0: And I'm guessing those sort of things, those sort of scenarios too, where, you know, people are resident to give feedback like that also impacts on the creativity within an organisation.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because there are UGRs to do with every aspect of work. There's UGRs to do with change around here when it comes to change. Complete the sentence. Um, there's UGRs to do with Uh, coming out with new ideas, people showing initiative. There's there's UGRs to do with accountability around here when someone says they'll do something. There's UGRs to do with customers, whether they're internal or external. There's UGRs. Here's a really interesting one. There's UGRs to dealing with other work areas or departments within the organisation. Oh, yeah. Um, And that one is really quite amazing, the results we get back from around here when it comes to dealing with other work areas or departments. That's often quite gobsmacking.
0: Yeah, look, so, I, I see that one uh, quite a lot too. You know, uh, often, uh, unfortunately, the, uh, you know, the, the IT department, you know, can be uh, one of those that's named and shamed uh, and often, you know, with without, um, you know, without any substance.
1: Well, exactly, exactly. Um, so, you know, there's, as I say, there are UTRs to do with every aspect of our work and the key here is to... Number one, being aware of them. Number two, finding out what the current UGRs are. And to the extent that that um, um, reveals any areas of concern, we've got to do something about this.
0: So, Steve, we've talked about um, the percentage increases that, you know, uh, these organisations that you've worked with self-assess they might improve by, but what about the financial costs? Do you have any examples that you're able to share on, on the true cost of business or on improvements when the rules are recognised?
1: Well, that's a bit trickier, Donna, because, of you know, I mean, it's a, it's a fairly murky relationship mm-hmm. between... Um, between actual um, productivity and culture. You know, there are many other factors that impact on productivity in addition to culture. And, you know, there might be external market forces. And even for some of your clients who are listening to this, Donna, um, some of those might be in government departments, whether it's local government or whatever. So, I mean, it's a tricky relationship, but I can give you some anecdotal evidence. Great. Right. Um, we've done a lot of UGR's work with, uh, with Kmart, and... Uh, I don't know if any of your listeners are aware of the total transformation that's occurred at Kmart, thanks uh, primarily to the CEO, Guy Russo, who's a magnificent leader. Guy is a massive fan of UGRs, and when he took over Kmart, which was losing money, substantial money, year on year, Mm -hmm. five years ago, um, he brought in four change platforms. Now, one of them was Culture, and that was UGRs. And Kmart has totally transformed. It's the star um, performer out of the uh, West Farmers group Mm -hmm. where it used to be the Ugly Duckling.
0: Wow. Um,
1: And it's just totally transformed. Now, that's not totally attributable to UGRs and culture, but it is substantially attributable to to that. Um, Toyota we've done some work with. We had one dealership say to us that, Uh, in three months after using UGRs as a tool to improve culture, their profitability increased by 30% in three months.
0: I don't know any organisation that wouldn't want that sort of an increase, Steve.
1: Yeah, and I am a little bit cautious to share that, Donna, because, I mean, this is not a silver bullet and it's not normally an an overnight fix that's going to transform an organisation. So, you know, they're they're the two star examples, if you like. Uh, In other organisations, it's going to be... And there's some hard graft that needs to go into this as well, because, you know, as I think people will realise, changing the culture doesn't come easy. Uh, If it was, more organisations would be doing it.
0: Yep, and I'm I'm guessing too that it's the sort of thing that, you know, organisations the size of some of those uh, organisations you're talking about um, have made the commitment to a long-term strategy, having this as part of the long-term strategy. They recognise that it's not, like you said, a five-minute fix, that, you know, it took a while for for the culture to get like this, and it's like you said, there is no magic pill that's going to fix it.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. Um, and, and you used a key word then, Donna, and that is the word commitment. Mm-hmm. And if we get real commitment, I mean, I think Guy Russell is a good example from Kmart. He was totally committed to changing the culture, had total commitment to UGRs, and um, the results are there for people to see. You know, the organisations with which we've worked, we don't get 100% strike rate. And there's one key determinant of of whether or not this is going to work, and that is to what extent are the leaders truly committed to this. That's the key point.
0: So I'm imagining as, as well that it's not just organisations that have the negative uh, UGRs, but it's also those organisations who may not recognise that there are UGRs, um, but they know they just want to get better at what they do.
1: Well, I think that's a very good point, Donna. Um, I, I think th- there's a risk that a focus on culture only happens when the organisation's in trouble or it's at a crisis yeah. point or a burning platform. And, um, you know, as an adjunct to that, I think there is another risk, and that is to make the presumption that because our people aren't complaining and on the surface they seem happy, things are okay. Now, I don't think either of those is um, should be used solely as the justification. Now, let me come at this in another direction. If people are happy, that might not necessarily mean that the culture is as good as it needs to be around those aspects of the culture that need to be good. So I think um, this is something that just about any organisation can benefit from by focusing on uh, locking in good cultures and by fine-tuning cultures to be really good around those aspects of the culture that need to be good to ensure the organisation's future success.
0: I get exactly what you're saying there, Steve, because I often hear in the technology space, you know, people being comfortable with where they are, we're doing okay, you know, th- there's no problem with us or um, we're happy where we are. But I always remember a quote by uh, NBA coach. He was the coach of the LA Lakers who won several NBA championships, Pat Riley. And I remember him saying, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Yeah. So if organisations don't have... Have strategies in place, be it to continuously improve um, knowledge and skills with technology, or to identify an action and improve both positive and negative UGRs, um, then you know it's just a matter of time, and and you know you end up going backwards rather than forwards from a from a competitive position, from a um, you know a market positioning, from an employer of choice position.
1: I think you're dead right there, Donna, and um, you know. As Guy Russo um, says, uh, culture, he says uh, um, other businesses can copy our business model, but they can't copy our culture. Mm. So it's the culture that can be the key point of differentiation. Um, So I I think that's critical.
0: So what sort of solutions or approaches could you take? Because it sort of sounds like negative UGRs um, more than uh, positive can really make achieving business outcomes a challenge. But I guess uh, having positive UGRs and enhancing them further can make achieving business outcomes far quicker.
1: Well, you know, I, I go so far as to say I think in some cases leaders are actually abrogating responsibility because the culture is as it is through luck, through chance. You know, we're lucky we've got these personalities that get get on together or we're unlucky that we have personalities that don't get on together. Now, I think leaders need to do more than that. They need to fight for the kind of culture that's necessary for the team or the organisation's future success. We need to fight for that, and that is a direct responsibility of leaders. So what can we do? Um, We've got a five-step approach for using UGRs as a tool to understand and improve the culture. But the first step says forget UGRs because there's a vital question which any team... And I'm, I'm throwing in the word team here, Donna, because I'm imagining that some of your leaders have um, maybe... Some of your listeners maybe have leadership responsibilities for teams and not entire organisations. So this applies equally at a team level as it does to an organisational level. Um, so the first of our five steps asks this vital question. What is that, What are the key cultural attributes we need in place for us to be truly successful? Put another way, what does our culture need to look and feel like for us to be truly successful? Mm. And I think that's a vital question, which frankly, I think is rarely asked. We need to think about and get people involved in thinking about what does our culture need to look and feel like for us to be truly successful? And just to reinforce the point I was trying to make before, people being happy doesn't necessarily mean we've got the best culture that we need to have to be successful. Good point. So that's the, f- the first step, and we call that first step envisioning. What's the kind of culture we need in place? Then we can move to UGR, because after we've identified the key cultural attributes, we can then find out what the UGRs are in relation to those key cultural attributes. Yeah. So...
0: Sorry, no, ahead. no, that's okay. Look, I know that as far as technology is concerned, one of the things I've seen, and and uh, uh, I'm I'm sure you've probably seen as well, is when I first started work, which was <clears throat> a little while ago, <laughs> <laughs> in you know in the uh, in the late eighties, uh, people's productivity and and their output was often measured by the visual component as in you know what time they arrived at work and what time they left they were sort of the visual markers that represented how someone was perceived as being productive and I think now as um, technology has changed it's almost like uh, they're measured according to uh, the number of emails they send when they send them and who they send them to and they're also underlying unwritten ground rules within an organisation, you know, how the communication process happens internally. Um, What's your experience in in that regard?
1: Well, Donna, again, I think you raised some really interesting points there. So um, they are all output measures, and what they're not measuring is the discretionary effort Mm. that a person is is prone to, to provide. And that's incredibly difficult to measure, but I think we can tap into the likelihood of people providing discretionary effort, that is, going above and beyond what might normally be required, when that's required, I reckon we can tap into that by finding out what the UGRs are. Because my, my view is that uh, if we've got predominantly negative UGRs, the likelihood of people providing any discretionary effort is next to zero. Yeah. Um, but if we've got predominantly positive UGRs, then the probability of people providing that discretionary effort when it's needed um, is very high. So I, I think this gets to the core of what really drives people and um, what drives their behaviour.
0: And, and I guess it's uh, UGRs is about identifying and communicating what the underlying ground rules are that people may or may not uh, consciously be aware of. Would I be correct in assuming that?
1: Well, yeah, I think you're dead right. You see, I think sometimes leaders take too much responsibility for culture. Mm. And often staff, well, I'm not sure if it's often, but sometimes staff will take a cop-out position. They'll point upwards and say, if only they'd fix things up, we'd be okay. Well, that might be partly true, but it's also true that staff choose, normally unconsciously, to subscribe to the UGRs they subscribe to. Mm. So this, I think, needs to be a joint effort. Now, I'm not absolving leaders' responsibility from this. They have the primary responsibility. My point is they don't have the sole responsibility for the culture. Um, start, you know, And that's where I think we can cr- create some real excitement uh, around the culture. And that sounds a bit corny because people normally don't get too excited about <laughs> culture. But I really think we can create some excitement about this where we become transparent. You see, our second step of the process says, well, okay, we've identified what our key cultural attributes are for us to be successful. Now let's find out what the UGRs are. Now that's when we do a UGR stock take linked to the key cultural attributes. So for example, last week I was um, in New South Wales working with uh, a not-for-profit in the disability sector and they identified their their key cultural attributes which which included a um, willingness to change because the National Disability Insurance Scheme is really impacting on them significantly. Mm -hmm. Customer focus was another, So, and and, and others they identified. So if those were two key cultural attributes, we would then craft a UGR stock take to get people to complete the sentence around here when it comes to change and around here uh, when a customer complains. Mm. So we'd open windows into the UGRs linked to those key cultural attributes. Mm. Now, the key point is that the results from that, so if people complete the sentence, the results from that should be shared with as many people as possible. We need to be transparent in understanding the current culture and then getting people involved and saying, well, okay, what's of concern to us here? What can we do better? And what can we do individually and collectively to improve in those areas of concern that we have? So it's it's, a, it's a, getting the team involved. and I, I've seen it happen many, 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 many times. Getting... That, that can create some excitement about the prospects for the future because to the extent that it's negative, the vast majority of people do not want it to be that way. It's just we get lost in this UGR's world, which is at an unconscious level, and we don't know how to tackle it other than incidentally. Well, we've got to tackle this front on and get people, as many people involved in doing that as possible.
0: Look that's that's great Stephen certainly I don't know about you but I could I could probably talk for another couple of hours on this topic with you I'm finding it very engaging and enlightening to to see the the impact or the unwritten impact that this sort of thing can can have on businesses um but i know that uh, our time's fast running out you mentioned before government um and and that raises a point of what about organizations that are bound by the red tape of you know governmental academia or they're a global business where head office is a totally different culture to australia how can ugrs help them
1: yeah, look, Donna, a really good question and um, I can add another question in and I've had many middle managers say to me, Steve, what if our senior people won't get on board with this? What You know, what can we do? And I will facetiously say to those people, okay, give up. Now, that is facetious, but my point I, that I hope I make is that, okay, we've all got people above us who potentially are causing Blockages or causing us problems. Yep, so I would say to people let's focus on those areas over which we have influence and control And let's worry about that Um, Look I was working with um, uh, I I spoke at a conference again last week in um, In Brisbane for um, secondary principals. and there's massive changes happening in the education sector up there and you know not least the shift in responsibility that's been put on to, to teachers within schools, which you know has been passed on from parents—stuff that used to be done by parents now is expected to be done by schools—and I said to them, "I said, look, I've got massive respect and um, a, and admiration for the stuff that you do, and I, I can't—and I used to be a teacher a hundred years ago. I can, I can't imagine what it's like now with these added responsibilities that you've got." I said, but having said that, to what extent do you in your schools, as principals, have influence and control over what really happens in your school? And I think the same applies to a middle manager. Uh, The middle manager, I think, sometimes underestimates the influence they have over people who report to them, and maybe the middle manager underestimates the influence they have over people who they, as middle managers, report to. Um, I will often say to uh, middle managers, how many times have you, for example, gone to a, per- a person you report to and thanked them for the contribution that they gave to something in the past? Um, so I think we, we can sometimes underestimate our-, our influence and my recommendation is to certainly not give up but to focus over those areas over which you have influence or control.
0: Steve, it's interesting to see your take on that, and I, uh, you know, I concur 100%. You know, I think uh, too easy, like in the case of academia that you just mentioned, you know, there's a whole lot of additional responsibilities that were never placed on people in the first place. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Now, um, again, we're fast running out of time. Uh, I've got one last question I I want to ask. Some of our listeners may, you've you've talked about the fact that it doesn't have to be buy-in from the top. Some of our listeners may want to change their own personal UGRs. Have you got any suggestions in this regard?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, Donna. Um, U- UGRs are people's perceptions of this is the way we do things around here. Mm-hmm. So I will sometimes challenge people to, ch- to question their own UGRs. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I say that there are, there are two sources for UGRs. One is UGRs by fact. UGRs by fact means that if I was a fly on the wall observing things in the workplace I would come to exactly the same conclusion as you have come to. That is, you might have a UGR which says, around here, bosses don't care about us. If I was a fly in the wall and watched people interact with bosses and, and vice versa, I would come to the exact, exactly the same conclusion. Those are UGRs by fact. The other source is UTRs by myth. UGRs by myth means that the, they might have been, that might have been true two or three or five years ago. But since that time, we've had four new managers come in, but the UGRs have remained despite the fact that man- the managers have changed. Um, and I think that can often be they can often be industry-specific. For example, I reckon in the IT world, there are some industry-wide UGRs. Mm. I'll give you an example. I'm working with a um, motor vehicle company with dealerships. This wasn't Toyota. It was another uh, motor vehicle company, and um, I... Um, I'm working with dealer principals, and one of them says to me, Steve, what you've got to understand in the motor vehicle industry is, and I stopped that person right there, Uh, his name was Michael. I said, Michael, what you're about to tell me is a UGR to do with the motor vehicle industry. Where is the rule book? And even if it is a rule, is this the way you want it to be?
0: Wow, that's powerful. I think
1: think we need to question our own UGRs, and I'll often say to people, um, do the." If you, to the extent you have negative UGRs, switch it around for a day, if it's possible. Switch it around for a day and see if there's anything that, ha, that, ha, that is different that happens. So if you go to a meeting thinking, here we go again, this is another waste of time, um, switch that around and see if there's any differences based on your own mindset. Now, it may be that we are all 100% correct and that is UGRs by fact, but maybe, then maybe it's not 100%. Maybe some of our UGRs are based on industry-wide, or maybe it was a UGR it was correct three or five years ago, or whatever. So I guess my challenge would be to say, think about your own UGRs and flip them around for a day if you can. Well,
0: wow, I think that's a that's a powerful uh, powerful challenge to lay down to our listeners as we we end our time together and thank you so much steve that's some great insights on firstly recognizing unwritten ground rules positive and negative and some of the t- steps that we can take particularly those that are negative stopping us from sabotaging our productivity now if some of our listeners want to get in contact with you to explore your programs for their team or organization how's the best way for them to do that
1: Don, there's a website, which is uh, ugrs.net, and if people want to email me, it's steve at ugrs.net.
0: Steve, thanks very much for your time today and for your insights. Thank you for joining us for this Expert Insights CD. For more information on Prime Solutions Training and Consulting and our services, visit our website, the three W's, Prime Solutions, with an S at the end, au. Until next time, this is Donna Hanson of Prime Solutions Training and Consulting, helping you work smarter and not harder with technology. Bye for now.